Psalm 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. And I'm not silent. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My strength is dried out like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. 
All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn, for he has done it. Brilliant, Julie Sharp. Brilliant. Don't you think so? Absolutely. Give her a round of applause. Well done, Ross. Well done. Well done. Made it live. That's great. All over in America, um, they're, they're quite strict in certain areas about anybody having a little tipple of something. Uh, but there was a, a pastor over there who was very fond of cherry brandy. And basically, he, he, just, he just loved a, a glass of cherry brandy. And one of the deacons bought him a bottle of cherry brandy. And he said, that's for you, Pastor. Hope you enjoy. One thing. He said, in the notices, I want to see the thank you for this bottle. And the pastor thinking, oh, dearie me. What's going to happen? I'll be out of a job. This is disaster. But the Sunday came and, and the, the guy who had given the bottle of cherry brandy looked on the news sheet. And there it was. It just said, the pastor wishes to thank Mr. Smith for his gift of fruit and the spirit in which it was given. <laughs> This is a great psalm, and I just want to skim through it, and, and I will skim through it fast, as, well, as fast as I can. And um, you'll know when we get to the end, you know, because I, I'll appeal for a standing ovation. So, <laughs> here we go. This is a psalm about disorientation. It, it's not about a lapse of faith, and it's not about broken relationships. It's about disorientation. Those moments when you're taken to North Wales in the back of a Land Rover, into a forest, at half past twelve at night, and you all get out with your little cagoule, and your little knapsack, and your flashlight, and what happening, and all the rest of it, and then all you see is two red lights disappearing, and you're left there with a crowd of people, and you've got to make your way back. I hate it. I hate it. It's called orientation. But this psalm is about disorientation. And you'll find it perfectly expressed when it comes to the Message Bible. And uh, this is what the Message Bible says. Why did you dump me miles from anywhere? And it's as though the psalmist is saying... This experience that I'm actually going through at this point, I've never, I've never gone through this experience before. Why have you dumped me miles from anywhere? There's no signposts, there's no guideposts, there's nobody to guide us. And the stars can't help for the simple reason it's all clouded over. There are folk who have gone through series of bereavements, tragedies in their lives. And this is the psalm. Because everything we go through in this life offers the possibility of growth 
and find in God. The sheer honesty of this psalmist. My God, my God, why have you dumped me miles from anywhere? It's the fourth word from the cross as Jesus speaks it. He's now in an experience that he's never been in before. They're hanging from the cross. Why, why have you dumped me miles from anywhere? There's an American preacher, his name is Roland Gunn. He's a wonderful man. I say this because he, he kind of speaks my language. Listen to him. What is the greatest exhibition of the power of God? Not to remove pain. Not to take away depression. Neither. The greatest exhibition of the power of God is to keep us in the love of God. To keep us in the love of God. And Richard Keane has this wonderful phrase in one of the old hymns. He just says, when through the deep waters he calls you to go, the rivers of trouble shall not overflow. The Lord will be with you and help you to bless and work for your good through your deepest distress. Again, Paul when he's preaching and speaking to, because I sometimes feel as though he's preaching when he's writing his letters. We know that in all things God works for our good. Hey, it doesn't take away the pain. But it does bring comfort. But it doesn't take away the pain. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it, Luke records for us that Jesus began in anguish and he prayed more earnestly. And this word anguish is this fighting a battle with sheer fear. One man called it the dark side of grace. Yet, on the cross, his father never stopped loving his son. There was never a point where love ceased between father and son. Because there's no cover up at the cross. No denial. When Jesus hung there, he felt totally disorientated. It's to do with distress. Hey. Don't do distress in this church. Don't do it. But so many of us move through distress. Let's not have a cover-up. I hate it when in churches they bring out what I call the evangelical domestos and spread it around. Kills 98 0.9% of germs, it's the other ones that it doesn't kill that worries me. But we do. And we pour this domestos over everything because we want the church to be nice and clean and crisp and even. What do you think we are? You know, a pizza or what? But it's not how we are, men and women. The thing this morning I'm asking you is, can, can my faith 
survived tragedy. Here's a child going into an operating theatre. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. A child going into an operating theatre. And father and mother are standing here. And the little child goes through the doors. And he's saying, Mom! Dad! Come with me! And the nurse says, I'm sorry you can't go. But their love never changed when there was a separation. The love of the child to the parents never changed. Here's a woman from Bristol. She has a phone call from her husband. He's coming home. He never made it. His clothes were found by the shore or the river going into Bristol. The car was there with the keys in the ignition. And his clothes were piled up. And the tragedy that that woman went through. The tragedy, the disorientation that he went through. That he committed suicide. Actually he hadn't committed suicide. He was found seven or eight years later in Sweden. He'd done a bunk. But the tragedy that that woman experienced. Here's another lady. Husband phones up and says, I'll be with you in half an hour. Don't bother putting the kettle on, love. We're going out for something to eat. You and me together. But he didn't make home. There was a knock on the door and the police came and said, your husband has been involved in a hit and run accident. We're sorry to say, How, how do we cope with situations like that? Can my faith, can my faith survive tragedy? Listen to Fiona Castle. What a wonderful lady. I'd love to meet her. I really would. She said, when her husband Roy was suffering from cancer in the last part of his life, she said, why do I feel disorientated? Why do I feel forsaken? Listen to the words of Roy. The time was when I felt abandoned by God. There was no evidence at all of God making me comfortable. Can my faith survive tragedy? Closing down in depression. The blues. Where our emotions get closed down. Where we get cut off from the meaning of life. When we get cut off from what holds our lives together and we come apart. You know that experience, don't you? You've been there. And you're looking at me and you're saying, I think he's been there too. Well, for 46 years, I've battled the blues and depression. And I don't want any evangelical domestos being sprinkled over me. Because it was through that very trying times that God made me who I am. Can my faith, can my faith survive tragedy? I cry out day after day, but I don't get answers, says the psalm. Well, this guy really says it as it is, doesn't he? He says it as it is. I cry out day after day, 
But I don't get answers. That's how we feel sometimes. That's how it is. It's not like the Joy Boys off the, the old God Channel. God bless them. They're all there. All honey. No bees. All work. No ease. Oh. No room for the raw edge of life. No way that they'll come alongside. You think that the Bible was, was just full of sweet, pious phrases about God. But this psalm changes it. No. They don't end in a world of fantasy. We live in a world of reality. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy. <clears throat> Freddie Mercury of Queen. And people have said, yeah, oh, that's the Bohemian Rhapsody, isn't it? And people have gone all eloquent about... But actually, Freddie's mum and dad were Moravian Christians. The Moravians were known as the Bohemian Brethren. You can see where Fred's got it from. It's there. Yet, says the psalmist, yet you are enthroned on high as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. We, we, we do that kind of thing, don't we? We burst into these wonderful moments, you know, right in the middle of tragedy. Oh, but God, God is in control. God is in control. We do it just to control our own feelings. We just make it as a big reference for God. Because we're frightened to live on the ragged edge. But my times are in His hands. And my God, I wish them there. In you our fathers put their trust, they trusted and they delivered you. What about us? His faith again is severely challenged. Do you know that in your life? Have you had your faith severely challenged? Well this psalmist did. And guys, we're talking about being disorientated with life. He was challenged. And there's this terrifying moment of silence that comes. The silence of God. Oh, I found that I couldn't handle that at times. I really found it was challenging. Yeah, it was challenging. It was challenging my self-pity. I turned to the church. What did I get? Hold yourself together, lad. I said, I'm not a pair of curtains. You need to confess your sins. Fair enough. The other one is, I think what you've got to do, brother, forgot my name already, I think what you've got to do, brother, is um, die to self. Then, of course, you'd go away and the preacher would preach and you need to crucify the flesh. I thought, quite like the flesh myself. 
And then of course there were those that would surround you with, you need to count your blessings. Well I have done, and at that particular point in my life they didn't come to many. Because there was that other one, God bless them, that I'd love to put my hands around their neck and choke them. As they said, you need to be thankful that you don't have cancer. I have a friend who once said I would have exchanged the darkness of depression for cancer any day. At least people would have had to acknowledge my pain to get help and find comfort. But you've been dumped miles from anywhere. But you're not alone. I know that there's a cold, chill wind that blows round the windows of your soul. But I tell you, men and women, God is with us. Look again. They cried out to you and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. It just means that in the end we're not alone. But that silence always challenges our faith. Oh, when we were young, much younger than today, we never needed anybody's help in any way. Where did that come from? <laughs> Listen again. Every day I sit and ask myself, how did love slip away? And something whispers in my ear and says, you are not alone. For I am here with you. Though you're far away, I am here with you. Michael Jackson. The psalm says other people have gone through the same experience. So don't isolate yourself and don't think that you're the only one fighting the blues. The wonder of God, there's some wonderful thing about God is this. I've never told anything to God that he doesn't already know. And I've never heard him once in my crying out to him, ever hearing him say, I would have never have believed that about you, Michael. <laughs> Tell God your experiences. Tell God. Bring it to speech. Don't suffer in silence. Hey, that is not a biblical directive. You do not suffer in silence. It's not a biblical way. In fact, it's no way at all. Express sometimes the pain of your soul, the pain of your life. I remember once some bloke said to me, he said, I think you need to just change your tack on preaching. If you want to make Christianity more marketable, I think that depression should not be a word that is spoken. Well, I don't want to make Christianity marketable. I want to present it as real. When he gets to verse 5, this is what happens. He says, other people's faith has kept me afloat. Did you hear the young lady speaking, leading worship, what she said? She said, you might not be able to sing the songs, but there are those that are around you that are singing them for you. Have you ever been like that in church? Where well, you can't sing the songs of Zion. 
Because you feel as though you're in a strange land, in a strange situation. And you can't sing the songs of Zion. But those around you, those around you are singing those songs for you. I'll never forget once being in, in, in I, I think it was a, either an Anglican church or a Roman Catholic church. And I was really feeling down. And they stood up and said the creed. And round me were men and women who were saying, We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe. Now, I believed, but I couldn't say it. But those people's faith lifted me. Oh, isn't it wonderful when you're sitting beside someone who lifts your faith. Who lifts your faith. Because other people's faith have kept me afloat. Hasn't it, Michael? Kept me afloat. When we get so overwhelmed that we can't praise. When we're going through trouble. Hey, when I'm going through trouble, I am very careful who I sit beside in church. Because there is very little room for the depressed in the fellowship of the excited. Listen to me. There is very little room. Very little room for the depressed in the fellowship of the excited. I don't want you not to be excited. I'm just saying there's got to be room. There's got to be room. The we. The presence of God's community. I believe in the community of God's saints. Feel them around me. When we pray that prayer, our Father, who do we pray it with? Oh, thank you for that. I needed that. I needed somebody to be beside me. I needed somebody to say, our Father. I needed somebody to say, you've included me. You've included me. Verses 6 and 8 begins, I am a worm. Oh, I'll never forget once during the 80s, we had a prayer meeting. About 40 or 50 in the front room. and It was a good prayer meeting. One of the lads had come back from, uh, from college. He'd been in Aberystwyth and been... Um, spent a long time in the Christian fellowship there and uh, you could tell because when he stood up and prayed he said Lord, Lord, Lord I am but a worm in your presence and Sam who was about 72 said well you speak for yourself son because I'm not <laughs> Christianity does not dehumanize us we've got to tell the psalmist that he says I am a worm I feel downtrodden when our services don't get recognized. Or oh, we need a new and a humane Christianity. A more humble Christianity and less judgmental. To kick out the judgmental and to bring in that God is a life giver. That's what He gives. He gives life. He does not dehumanize us. 
Oh, and then in 9 and 11, Yet you brought me out of, my, out of the womb. You made me trust you even at my mother's breast. Oh. Just a minute. Just a moment. Memory All alone in the moonlight I can smile at the old days It was beautiful then I remember the time When I knew what happiness was Let the memories Nine to eleven. That's exactly what he does. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you. Even at my mother's breast. From my mother's womb. You have been my God. If my daughter was here. Jane. That's with a Y. If my daughter was here. <laughs> if my daughter was here. You'd say. Can you tell me when you became a Christian? She would say. I can't tell you that. But surely. Surely there was a moment in your life that you committed your life to Christ. And she would say, No. I can never, ever remember a time when I didn't belong to God. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust even at my mother's breast. God will never abandon you. God will never disown you. And they hit the psalmist, don't they? You don't trust in God, do you? The psalmist says, You kept me safe when I was drinking my mother's milk. And you'll keep me safe now. But there's some more. Because... 12 to 18 and we, we, we rock on at this point 12 to 18 just says I will never let you go um, Corrie ten Boom in one of her books says the first step on the way to victory is to recognize the enemy I am going to bring the enemy before you now notice he asks for nearness he does not ask for rescue and it's running like a DVD and these images are unbelievable. Many bulls surround me. Oh, I, I've been surrounded by Bible bulls. Oh, oh, I have. And they've done some damage at me. Roaring lions tear their prey when you're down and they pounce on you. My life is like poured out like water. I feel utterly destroyed. I'm reduced to an exhausted state. My bones are out of joint. I feel out of joint. Nothing in my mind coordinates. I feel numb. I'm out of balance. My strength is all dried up. Life has overpowered me. I feel as though my mind is wrecked. Dogs surround me. The life wreckers. Those that come and rain on your parade. And they come in for the kill. They pierce my hands and feet. This is a, here this is someone who's a, a victim of cruelty. Cruelty not only of body but of mind. 
And there are folk like that here this morning. And it's tragedy. They look and they stare at me. I've had that. Oh, dearie me, I've had that. They look at me. And they talk behind your back. Used to be a leader in the church, you know, in the 80s. Um, and then it all went wrong. What do you mean it all went wrong? They look and they stare at you. The moments when you were naked, when people took everything that you had, when abuse was in your life at its worst, they divided my garments. That my possessions were more, of more value than me. I felt as though I was in the middle of Mamma Mia. The winner takes it all. Oh, I. Have you ever been there when you feel as though the winner has taken it all? Those days when sometimes people would come with their mess and I'd say, I'm sorry, I can't deal with your mess. I've got enough mess of my own. And then all of a sudden at verse 19 it changes. It changes. There's breakthrough. There will always be a breakthrough. If you're battling the bruise or whatever is happening, a battling depression, whatever is happening in your life or battling, you know, the moments when you lose somebody you love, there will be a breakthrough. Because the blues or depression are not the final word in your life. He shouts, you God, don't put off my rescue. Hurry up and help me. You are my strength. You are my rock. We were talking about this in the early parts of the service, about God being our rock. That underneath us sometimes, in all our tragedy, or know it men and women, that underneath you always are the everlasting arms of God. That this rock that you fall on is God himself. And the fall might be hard, but the hands are gentle. We'll always come to a turning point. Always come to a place of anticipation. And verses 22 to 24 get exciting. Because there, your senses begin to live again. Have you ever been in that experience? Where your senses have begun to live again. When heaven above is softer blue, earth below is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. That Christless eyes have never seen. Our senses begin to work. Corrie ten Boom has a lovely phrase. She says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And so we begin to regain our stability. It often happens in an atmosphere of prayer. Hey, and doesn't it lift you? Oh, that prayer, it lifts the fallen. It picks up the distressed. It reassures the depressed. Those people who have lost their grip on life. There's somebody praying for you. Somebody praying for you. Have you known that in your life? Somebody is praying for you. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. That lifts me from my world of care.
lifts me. In an atmosphere of prayer. Oh yes. Those dark experiences are not the last word. While I was reading Corrie Ten Boom, you've already gathered that, but I was reading just a little bit about her. She's an amazing woman. Let me read to you from The Hiding Place. Okay, remember Corrie Ten Boom? She was a, a woman of 50 who went with her sister Betsy and father into Ravensbrück concentration camp. They were a little Christian family that used to hide Jewish people in their home. They had special little cupboards that they could put them in and lock them in. But one day the Gestapo came and found them. And they were sent to Ravensbrück. Betsy died in Ravensbrook. Her father died in Ravensbrook. She should have died two days. But there was a mix-up with the names in the office. And she was released. But all that darkness was in her. Lurking in her. Just listen to her words. It was a church service in Munich. And I saw him there. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I'd seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. It was all back with me. A room full of mocking men, heaps of clothing and Betsy's pain-blanched faith. He came up to me. As the church was emptying, beaming and bowing, and said, How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. To think that you and I are both washed in the blood of the Lamb. His hand was held out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people, the need to forgive, my hand kept down by its side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. That Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I pray, forgive me and help to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I couldn't. I felt nothing, not the slightest warmth of charity. So again I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I can't forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, passed a current that was from me to him. And while in my heart there sprung a love for this stranger that simply overwhelmed me, and so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. And when he tells us to love his enemies, he gives us along with the command that love itself. And then to finish with these words. It's incredible, men and women, to actually catch and, and let these words just live in us. Just let me find, that's it, here I am, I've got it. 
just those last few words 25 to 31 this is thanksgiving at his best I was saying to Michael yesterday show me a church that is filled with the spirit and I'll show you a church that is full of thankfulness and gratitude and speaking tongues till till kingdom comes doesn't bother me I'll join with you hallelujah and praise the Lord do me if you want your words of knowledge that'll do me I'm in there with you I don't mind any of that I think it's absolutely marvellous and wonderful but the test of a church is is there gratitude and is there thankfulness and so the psalmist passes and so do we he passes from why why have you forsaken me he passes to a situation which is what now what now you see what now says I've got something to look forward to what now says stop asking why what now says I've got a future I've got a future what now oh listen men and women have you heard the cry of God the cry of God when they were cold you gave them warmth when they were in prison you visited them when you were hungry you gave them food when they were sick you visited them when they were thirsty you gave them a drink it's an open invitation to you all this morning it's a venture in hope even in your darkest moments for the cry is what now it transforms that random question of why into a vital part of God's grand scheme and the amazing thing is this is the more I trust him the more I commit my life into Christ's hands the less I need to understand because I'm not a victim of depression or downcast I am an object of divine attention because God is working through me